Welcome to another inspirational message from City Life Center Church. If you were ever in the area, come visit one of our services. We would love to meet you. Enjoy the message. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient path, ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Are you in? All right, let's go. God bless you. Have a seat. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, everybody. Y'all are awesome. I mean, I, I know why nobody said that they lifted their hands, uh, pressed a few minutes ago about pain and, and rain. It's because... The people who aren't afraid of rain are here today, other than you. And so you see, yeah. open your Bibles to Malachi 3. <laughs> open it up. We'll see how afraid people are of rain if you, if you go out to the Main Street Arts Festival. That's the real catch right there. Hey, next Sunday, um, I'm going to be starting a new series called Radical Faith. Radical Faith, it's about this movement of the followers of Jesus Christ that's transcended time and economics and wars. It's transcended uh, all of the attempts at purging it and the oppression. It's transcended the rise and the fall of nations. And it's, it's this group of people from all over the world that are interconnected through Jesus. And by far, we call it Christianity, by far, it is the largest movement of any type in the history of the world and continues to this day to thrive and expand rapidly. Now, here's the cool thing. You're a part. And if we're a part, well, what does it mean? How do we participate? Well, it all comes down to these two words, radical faith and uh, and I'm going to start talking about that next week. Now, how many of you will say this? Thing, now, before you raise your hand, I want you to commit to something you, you don't like. But you'll say, hey, Pastor, I'll be here, God willing, the next three Sundays. You'll, okay, think about it. Think about it. Are you willing to say that, Pastor? I'll be here, God willing, the next three Sundays. Put your hand up. Put your hand up. I'll, I'll be here, God willing, the next three Sundays. Boop. I love it. Okay, good, good. I'll see you. The, I'm, this series could very well change your understanding of our faith and also challenge you to live your life with a new strong sense of purpose and with what I'm calling radical faith. I, I, I love the imagery also of our faith life being an adventure highway, which is kind of our theme for the year. It's this journey down the narrow path, the good way. It's the road that brings rest to our emotions and our minds. It's the ancient pathway. And really, it's a pathway. It's a road. It's a highway of like real adventure. But, but, and I believe this long-term adventure of a lifetime is meant to be enjoyed as well. So here, here's just to start off today's message. I want to say this. Enjoy your adventure highway. But never let a quest for adventure control you. Now, why I say this is because I believe a quest for adventure is what's causing a lot of people, so many people, to live their lives kind of in a wasted way. I love adventure in and of itself. I do. I do. But if I live for the next adventure... You see that? I'm going to find myself wore out. I'll be aimless. I'll be exhausted. I'll be empty, and I will be broken directionless. Because the authentic adventure is really in following Jesus, and it is pretty awesome. But it's not living for the next rush or living for the ultimate vacation. Does that make sense? See, the, the, the adventure is actually found in this profound simplicity of serving Christ and following his ways. Really, it's an adventure like nothing else. And a huge part of that adventure is what I'm talking about today. It's the economics of that adventure, and it's our willingness to recognize that everything ultimately belongs to God and that God has entrusted his assets into our hands to steward and to manage and to use to advance his kingdom. And it's to provide for ourselves, it's to provide for our families, and it's to also help others. See, God laid out this economic plan. He laid it out in the scriptures, and it's all through the Bible. And I follow it. I do my best to do what those scriptures say. And, and I'll tell you what, I know that God's economic, economic plan works. And the foundation of it is what we call the tithe. And it's, that, it's this tenth, it's a tenth of what God has entrusted us. Uh, and we reinvest it into his work through the local church. We don't control it. 
It's already his. We just basically give a tenth back, which then he in turn blesses the other 90%. Now, I learned how this worked when I was a little kid uh, from my mom. I, I was five years old, and we lived in a brand new house in a brand new neighborhood, and I went to a brand new kindergarten school in Montesano, Washington. You guys have been there, right? Okay, you've not been there. Well, well, I'll tell you, it was awesome. I, I would walk to school every day. Yes, I walked to school in kindergarten. Now, just think about that. How could they, my parents allow that to happen? That was wrong. And the road was dusty, I remember, and bees chased me a few times. Well, I was in kindergarten, though, and I remember, I, and, and my mom sat me down at the, at the dining room table, uh, overlooking the deck, overlooking the backyard. It was majestic, and I was about to receive my very first allowance, and my allowance was going to be a quarter a week, which would mean a little more than a dollar a month. I was about to receive $13 a year. Are you all impressed? I I was excited. It was a big moment. Mom handed me the quarter, and then she said, now, what she did was profound. She said, Tim, Timmy, actually, was what she called. Don't don't call me that, though. I think you're my mom or, or my older brother, and that would just not work for me. Okay, but she'd say, this is God's, not yours. But you get to use it however you please. But God wants you to be responsible with it. And he, she said this, God wants to bless this money also. So you need to give a tenth back to him. I'm sitting there, wide-eyed, five-year-old, and, and we weren't into fractions yet, even though I'm sure I was in the kindergarten honors prep school. At least I felt like it. So what she did, she goes, I want to show you. So she then exchanged my quarter for 25 cents, which was seven coins, five pennies, and two dimes. And she laid it out there for me. And, and then she separated out three pennies. And she explained, these three cents are a little over a tenth. And she says, this is the amount to give back to God. So she explained that when the offering came on Sunday, I would give this back to God. And she asked me to make a commitment for a lifetime at that point to do this. I'm a five-year-old making a lifetime commitment? What do you mean? I did. And it destroyed my life. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nothing about the destroy my life part. I'm just seeing if you're listening here, okay? And, 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 and so I, I began doing that. And she said, if you do this, God, it, it opens the door. For God to bless the remainder of this. Now, I translated these coins, which are very shiny and very pretty. I translated them into candy because I knew how much the candy cost. I'd already learned this. I I knew that a Tootsie Roll, which are not like today's Tootsie Rolls. They were actually like this big, this big right here, right here, about the size of my finger. A Tootsie Roll cost a penny. A Butterfinger, which is my favorite candy bar still is. I don't eat it very often because I like to be healthy. It, it was, a, was about this big, nice and thick, about double the size that it is today. And that would cost me 10 cents. So I'm looking at this thing and I'm going, wait a minute, I get this. I give God three Tootsie Rolls. I keep two Tootsie Rolls for me and two Butterfingers, which can be busted into 10 Tootsie Rolls. It's like, yeah, that's it. I'm like, wow, what a deal. Honestly, to tell the truth, I began tithing at age five, and I stuck to the commitment. I continue to tithe because I honor God's economics. And I'm telling you guys, it, it works brilliantly. So, okay, here's what I'm going to do to get us started. I'm going to ask you some questions rapid fire. All I'm asking you guys to, is to do is to respond back out loud with your answers. There are no trick questions, all right? I'm not going to trick you with anything. These are simple questions that regard God's system of economics, which actually I, I believe we all know. Okay, but all right, here we go. Should you save for retirement? Okay, there's a pause on that. Some of you are thinking, like, should I save for retirement? I don't know. Maybe not. I need to pray about it. I need to fast about it. Come on. All right, here we go. Here we go. Should you save for retirement? Should you be generous with your income? Should you have an emergency fund? Should you pay off your credit cards monthly? Should you have a budget? Should you avoid debt? Should you tithe? Now, if I were to ask you each one of those questions back to you saying, do you, instead of should we, how are you going to respond? All right, let's try it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do this to you. <laughs> but the truth is, your answers would be different. You know what I just proved? You already know the right answers. What we struggle with is doing it. 
See, our challenge is that we know the principles that are in all of the scriptures, and they are true, really even in the deepest place of your heart. But then logic enters in, and we tell ourselves we can't afford to do certain things. Yet at the same time, as believers, we know that we are called by God to live by faith. I mean, Bible says the just shall live by faith, right? And I think it's wise for us to remember that the scriptures do not say that the just shall live by logic. Again, just like I've been sharing over the past several weeks, God's kingdom, his ways is a paradox. It's like upside down. It's the opposite of our logic. In fact, I would have to say this honestly, God is illogical. His ways are not our ways. The problem with us especially as educated American city dwellers, is that we keep trying to apply logic to every situation, but then it leaves us empty and without faith, frustrated and even angry. See, because logic tells us that we're supposed to chase after the things maybe that satisfy us. So we pursue wealth, or we pursue occupational fulfillment, or we pursue a rank or a position or a cause. We pursue attire, or we pursue certain types of friendship networks, or, or a certain type of home, or apartment, or a condo in a certain type of neighborhood, and, 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 or a certain type of automobile, or degree of education, or pleasure, or even just pursuits of adrenaline and adventure. And I'm telling you guys, it all ends up very, very, very empty. Logic says, well, I'll just do that. It's logical. Now, guys, please know this. I will never ask you to check your brains at the door, all right? That is utter foolishness. But our challenge is, is that we tend to overthink everything, thus living a life that is empty and faithless, and we get angry. Let's be honest. At our core, we are individuals who are struggling, and we're searching for something real and authentic to latch onto because the world and its system has let us down again and again. And I will tell you this, and this is not even a prophecy. This is just natural smarts, okay? I've studied history enough. The world's going to let you down again and again and again. Your government will. Your company will. Even if you own your own company, it will. Friendships will. People are going to let you down. So what are you going to hold on to? It's unfortunate because a lot of people, even in our culture, this culture, the city culture, this kind of culture that we live in, they will reach the highest level that they can attain in a particular city or in our metroplex. And then they feel like, well, I've reached the ceiling here. Therefore, now I have to move on now to a larger metropolitan area to go to that next step. Well, my friend, that only leaves you L.A., Chicago, and New York. What are you going to do when you move to New York? I mean, come on. That is so futile. I'm sorry to stomp on some of your dreams right now, but, but Solomon even said it so. And I, I got to tell you this. He, he's, he attained every single pinnacle, every one. And he said, it's all empty. Unless you have faith. Now, I want you to remember this. Do you believe this? I, just a question here. Do you believe everything happens for a reason? Not a trick question, but do you believe that? All right. I'm not going to give you trick questions. So. so therefore, you're here for a reason. So here's my question to you. What is God going to speak to you today? Now, sure, I've had this message planned out for months. But God customizes it for you. God is talking to you. Here's my big challenge today. It's this. Listen to God and act on what you hear. There it is. Come on. Look at it. Listen to God and act on what you hear. Listen to God. Act on what you hear. That is critical for God's hand to be on your life. That's foundational in the scriptures. And, and I'm sharing today's teaching with you not because the church wants your money. No. The truth is I want you to be blessed. So that God's work will grow and will expand not only in your life but, are, but in this community and around the world. See, Paul put it this way. He, he, he said it this way as he was receiving an offering for his own ministry, Paul Ministries Incorporated. He said, it's not that I desire your gifts, but what I desire is that more be credited to your account. In other words, I want you to be blessed in God's eyes. Now, if you guys are visiting here to, today and this is not your church, this message still applies because it's God's word. Uh, but your tithe does not belong here. It belongs in your local church, not here. Please don't do that, all right? 
Now I want you to take a look at Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. According to the Bible, you know, as you're turning there, uh, we, the truth is, is the first part of our paycheck needs to go somewhere, right? Some people think that you're going to, we should give it to Visa, the first part of our paycheck. Well, the problem is, is that Visa does not have the power to bless your finances. It doesn't, but God does. See, God starts off in Malachi 3, 6. He says these words. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. Stop right there. How clear can it get? In fact, that's the foundation of my message today. God doesn't change. He doesn't change between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, He's the same. Then God goes on to say something a little bit cryptic. He said, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Now, what does he mean there? Most pastors are going to breeze right past that. I don't mind tackling the tough stuff. Let's tackle it here. Because I actually think this is quite humorous. This is kind of a, a funny statement when you look at it and you, when you really understand what he's saying. Basically, what he's saying here is, I haven't killed you because I'm a nice God. That's what he's saying. He said, I was nice, and I am nice, and I'll always be nice. That's what he's saying, okay? He does not change. I haven't killed you because I'm a nice guy. Okay, what is he setting us up for? Well, God's always setting us up for something. He's going to challenge us. But then he says this, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. Say that word decrees with me. Decrees. All right, it's an important word. Come back to it later. And have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says God. Now, this is God who's talking here. God's saying this. He's reminding his people again, he never changes and that he is good. But there's a problem that generation after generation keeps turning away from God's decrees. You got that? All right, let's follow along. And God says, but you ask, that means the people, you, me, how are we to return, God? Actually, I like this part. This is good because this shows that God's people are dialoguing with him. Sure, they're not not honoring God's decrees, but they've also not shut him out. That's good. They're still going to church. They're still worshiping and singing the songs. They're listening to the sermons. Now God is speaking, and they are hearing, and they're replying, which is what we want to do, open the dialogue with God. And, and if you're supposed to return, if that's what we're wanting us to do, God, then how do we do it? Great question. So God gives the answer. All right, take a look at it. He said in verse 8, he said, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. Now, a preacher didn't make this up. I didn't write this. I was here long before me or my dad or my grandpa. All right. This is the God who does not and cannot change who is speaking right there. Okay. He asked straight out, would you rob God. I mean, would you guys steal from God? Absolutely. You're thinking, I I wouldn't steal from God. I wouldn't steal from God. Would you steal from God? Yes or no? No. What should I answer? No, the answer is no. Okay. (laughs) Think about it this way. And God's so nice. What happens? We're all Texans in here, unless you're visiting from some other state that doesn't, you know, do stuff like Texas. But if it's Someone busts, you look at, if, if you like break into somebody's house in the middle of the night and you're going to go through and rob them, you can expect to be what? Shot. Shot. <laughs> Bam. That happens in Texas every day. It's funny, a friend of mine who, who's a pastor in Laredo, I said, man, how do you deal with all the violence? He goes, oh, it's not a problem down here because in Laredo, everybody has a gun in their house. Nobody breaks into houses. They get shot. Okay, you see, and here's the cool deal. God says, you keep stealing from me, but I'm also a nice guy, and I don't shoot you. Now, think about that. Who's really the mean one? It's you, because you want to shoot this person who's stealing from you. You just said it a minute ago. Just something to think about, okay? All right, okay. But God says, you robbed me. Now, this is a very normal question. It's a very normal response question. So they, they, they say, okay, then, then God, in what way have we robbed you? I mean, how have we stolen from God? Take a look at it. He said, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. And now you're under a curse and the whole nation is because you're robbing me. 
So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Say that word storehouse. 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 That there may be food in my house. Say my house. All right. Important terms. I'll come back to them in a second. Then he says, test me in this. So God is actually, some people say you can't put God to the test. Oh, yes, you can. When it comes to, when it comes to tithing, put God to the test. I dare you. I started doing it at five, and it actually worked. I think one of the most amazing moments is, I, I saw this. It was kind of cool because I remember giving my first offering. I don't know whether this is God or not, but I remember it happening. I remember giving my first three cents in the offering that, that next Sunday in Sunday school and there was this guy who came walking up to me with a big, giant 50-cent piece. Any of you guys remember those? He said, do you know what this is? I said, it's a 50-cent piece. He said, good, since you know what it is, it's yours. Now, did God tell him to give that to me? I don't know, but here's what I recognize as a child. Wait a minute, God just, I just got blessed, and I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. Nothing. God says, test me in this. Guys, put God to the test and see if he will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. He said, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then other people are going to look at you and go, man, you're blessed. Nations are going to say, you're you're blessed. He said, because you will have a delightful land. Now, Now, again, who's talking here? It's God. It's the God who does not change ever. Now, I've asked you to note a few key words. One was the storehouse and my house. Now, that actually refers to your local church. The storehouse is the place from which you and others within your community receive ministry. It's always meant that from the beginning, Old and New Testament. My house, Old and New Testament, always refers to the place of worship. So God says, this is a decree that you need to follow and not violate it. Okay, back to that word decree. What does decree mean? Decree means this. It means ordinances or principles of ordinary behavior. That's the literal definition of that from the scriptures. So when God is saying this to his people, he's telling them that they have gone away from the principles of ordinary behavior. In other words... It's ordinary for God's people to thank God with their income, from their income. It's ordinary for the people of God to recognize God even when there are tax increases because they know that God is the one who is the real provider, that God is the source, and God deserves acknowledgement. It's an ordinary principle. And God said this, You've left my ordinary principles, and you've gone away. Now you see, this is a very clear passage. What he's saying is here is, you know, if I tithe, I'm blessed. If I don't tithe, I'm cursed. Now, please understand, he, he says, you're cursed. He doesn't say, I am cursing you, or I'm going to curse you. God doesn't say that. But basically what he says is, you have placed yourself under a curse, and you're frustrated and angry, and nothing works out for me, ah! I'm going to bite off the pastor's head tomorrow. Oh, man. I'm sorry, but you're under a curse. Basically, you have voluntarily placed yourself under that heavy cloud. You guys have seen some hailstorms, or at least on radar, at least in the news. I've taken my car in for all the dints and dings and had people come look at my roof, and they're coming back out again because I found more damage, all right? But, But if it's hailing outside... Are you going to put yourself under that hail and go running through the streets? No. Even an animal is smarter than that. The truth is we do live in a cursed world. And what what God wants is for us to redeem our finances from under that curse, but it takes our cooperation. And our cooperation says we're going to take that first 10% and give to him. So that's what a tithe is. A tithe which I introduced that term to you at the very beginning of this message, means a tenth. Now, in preparing for this message, I had a talk with God. I talked to him a lot, and he talks back to me, and I said, hey, God. He goes, hey, Tim. And I said, Lord, you know I'm a pastor, and you called me to do this, and I'm doing what you called me to do, and 
I love it, but you know, this. and and I also say, God, you know, I've dedicated my whole life to helping people. And in fact, that's that's our family theme. Is like, what, what is our, what do we do? We we simply help people. And I said, God, I know what your principles are that are in your Word, and in the Scriptures there are ordinary principles about relationships, uh, family, marriage, faith, finances. <clears throat> In fact, Malachi itself, this book that I was preaching from, is a book about returning to God. Chapter 1 is about returning to God with your faith. Chapter 2 is about returning to God for your family. Chapter 3 is about returning to God in your finances. Chapter 4 is about God returning to us. So I'm just saying, Lord, here, all I want to do is help people, but this is also an area that Americans argue with me about, and I'm just trying to help them. Now, truth is, this only happens in first world countries. It does not happen in third world countries because when this is preached in third world countries, it's, it's the people believe it because they don't have it set up. Their, their money is not their idol. They don't worship their money. What we do here, it's called mammon. It's, it's, it's a tough thing. I know you didn't like hearing that, but it's true. It's interesting because some of the most wonderful, powerful moves of God that are well-funded are not happening in the United States. They're happening in the third world countries. And God is blowing the socks off of nations. If they had socks to blow off. <laughs> and then I said, God, you know that the most famous verse in the Bible about tithing is in Malachi. But whenever I preach from this verse, God, here's what happened. People will come to me or they'll text me or they'll email me or they'll say to me, but pastor, or they'll tell someone who tells someone who tells me, that's just in the Old Testament. And, you know, honestly, as, as a pastor, I'm like, oh, God, I can I just, like, leave parts of the Bible out when I preach? Wouldn't that be easier? And then I was like, God, couldn't you have just taken that little passage and, 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 and put it into Matthew? I mean, it's just like the next page. It, it's just there. And, I mean, it would have helped. Count the verses. It's only 15 verses later, God. You could have put it right over there. And I felt the Lord saying to me, no, I put it right where I wanted to put it. Why? It's because tithing is a test. It's actually a test of your trust in God. Do I really trust God? Do I believe that 90% with God's blessing goes farther than 100% without? It's your test of trust in God. And I know people are going to say, tithing is under the law, but I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. And they smile, and I just go, oh, my. It's like, read the Bible. See, the truth is, I don't understand that argument. Because basically it's this. What you're saying is, well, if it was wrong under the law, then it's okay for us to do it now as believers, or, or vice versa. That basically means, thou shalt not kill was under the law. So, do you think if I go and kill someone, that there will be no consequences for that? course there are going to be consequences, except the beauty of it is I am now under grace. So what that means is I can go and kill somebody and ask Jesus to forgive me. He'll forgive me as if I've never sinned and I'm spotless before God, yet I'll probably still have to go to prison and be executed. Do, do you guys get it? That's what grace is. Yeah, there's consequences. So here's the, here's the, we're believers, so our sins can be forgiven, but there are still consequences based upon how we live when we live contrary to the word of God. Plus, we have to understand this, is that the argument of, well, that's in the law. It was in the Bible before the law, and it's in the Bible after the law as well. Basically, it's an ordinary principle of God's word. Um, if you're going to follow that line of reasoning, basically what I could say is this. is My friend Pam is right here on the front row, but I know some things about her. And if you'd like to know some scoop about Pam, you just come and let me know. And I can make up some lies about you and talk about you. And I would have so much fun doing it. It would feel so, so wonderful making up all these stories about you. Because I could do that because thou shalt not lie was under the law. And I am New Testament. I'm under grace. I can do that. Now, right now, you're going, Tim, that's so stupid. Yeah, it is. 
Some of you aren't convinced yet. Let me give you another example. Uh, uh, Preston, give me your wallet. Come on, give me your wallet. I, I know you have money in there. I've seen your wallet before. Well, just, just bring it up here. I want, I want to see it. Thank you very much. I appreciate you loaning this to me. Well, actually, he's not going to loan it to me because thou shalt not steal is actually in the law. And I'm a believer, and I'm under grace, and so it's okay for me to steal. God, forgive me. All right. You get it? I'm not going to keep it, though, because I know I'm publicly sinning, and so then I'll get in big trouble, and you'll have to find yourself a new pastor. All right, so, so where does tithing come from? It comes from the Bible. A lot of people don't tithe because they don't think it's biblical. They say, well, there's only one scripture in the Bible in the Old Testament. Well, I'm going to show you some others, and I'm, I, there's no way I can get into all of them. But Genesis 14, 18 is a great place to start. It's where uh, it's just where the Melchizedek king of Salem, it says he brought out bread and wine, and, and he was the high priest of God. And then Abram came to him, and he said, he said to the Melchizedek, blessed be Abram by God. And you know, there's this whole wonderful ceremony that was going on. And then what it says is Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Basically, Abraham gave a tithe 500 years before the law. As a matter of fact, you can actually go back to Cain and Abel. Cain did not tithe. Abel did tithe. God accepted Abel's offering. God didn't accept Cain's offering. That's, that's at least 2,500 years before the law. Or if you want the people like to date you know, way back then, it's a million years before the law. I don't know. But here's what it is. It's an ordinary principle that predates the law. Okay. Jacob, before the law. He says, this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house, Bethel. And all that you give me, God, I will give you a tenth. Here's the implication again. The tithe goes to the house of God 400 years before the law. Moses made it most explicit. He said a tithe, a tenth of everything from the land, whether grain or soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. See those two words? The two words that are underlined are the key words. Tithe. And holy, the tithe is actually the holy part. New Testament, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Jesus comes out to the Pharisees and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, teachers of the law. In other words, you preachers, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint and your dill and your cumin. Because people would give offerings like that, and so they would get on the scales and separate it out. You know, I was just thinking, well, what's the equivalent to that today? I've got it figured out. If someone gave me a bottle of essential oils, <laughs> I would be grateful for that essential oil, but I would think, oh, no, but a tenth belongs to God. And so I'd get out some super delicate scales, and I would pour the essential oils out on this one side, and then I would gently scoop it into the other I'm just enjoying the fragrance and then get a tenth and then scoop that back in and then I would sell it for God's purposes. And you would go, Tim, that's ridiculous. That's what Jesus was saying. And I would do that the whole time while Jack, our homeless friend, is being beaten up on the street. Do you get it? You see, see how? Okay, now, 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 now look at this. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, male dent and cumin, those words, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He says, you, you need to keep doing this and the other. Don't neglect tithing, but he says, you need to practice this because it's foundational to our faith. See, tithing is not foundational to our faith, but love is. You guys get that? So he's saying is you... You, you give a tithe of all your even small, tiny stuff, but you're not being merciful to people and you're not administering justice to the hurting. In other words, you're not being faithful in relationships. And Jesus is saying, come on, you foolish preachers. Do the most important things while not neglecting the tithing. Jesus didn't say, well, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you do not need to do this anymore because... That was Old Testament. The Father and I, we have changed between now and then. We've spent about 400 years trying to figure out how we were going to do it, but here's what we decided. We're not, we're not going to be mean anymore. Now we're going to be nice. You can just do what you want. Did Jesus say that? Did he? That's not a trick question. Did Jesus ever say that? No. God doesn't what? He's still 
really, really nice. God says, you're robbing me. So you're under a curse. And I don't want you to be under a curse. He said, I want, I want to open the windows of heaven over you. And I want to bless you. I want to rebuke Satan from stealing from you. But it's up to you as to whether I am freed up to do that or not. And he says, the ball is in your court. Then in Hebrews chapter 7, I mean, it goes on in the New Testament. This is the New Testament. He, you know, the writer of Hebrews recounts the passage that we read from Genesis 14 earlier, a few moments ago, about Abraham tithing to Melchizedek. And, and he uses as, as an example uh, about this word tithe. He even uses the word tithe. And he uses the example in the New Testament saying, we are kind of like Abraham and Jesus is like Melchizedek. And, and he says it this way. He says, in one, tenth, one case, a tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. Now, this is actually amazing to me. This scripture right here, it's, uh, what this means is that when I put my tithe or my tenth into the box back there or a basket or the iPad or a computer or a phone or however you, want, you know, choose to do it, that people who die are going to take it out. Meaning we have some people around here that are designated offering counters and they're going to take it out and they're going to count it and they're going to deposit it and they're going to die. They are next door right now behind multiple locked doors doing so. I'm sorry, they're going to die. Okay, that's what the Bible says. But what it says is that Jesus actually receives the tithe, the one who does not die, the one who's declared to be living. This is New Testament. It is proof that Jesus lives when we tithe because God protects our lives and he watches out for us. It's proof to a world that we live in a different economy because God can bless and does bless and does protect us if we will adhere to the ordinary principles of the Bible. So what is tithing? Well, it's a test of trust. Where does tithing come from? It comes from the Bible, the scriptures. And here's another major principle. It's this, is how does tithing impact? Well, tithing basically is this. It is a blessing in all directions. In 2 Chronicles, we hear about this king by the name of Hezekiah, and he was, he was insisting on a bunch of reformations. And so he did something really novel. He decided to read the Bible. And, and, and he realized that a lot of what he was reading in the Bible wasn't being practiced, that it was actually being violated. And so he was reading some scriptures, and he sees tithing, and, then, and he realizes they're in an economic recession. And so he reads this. He says, you're under a curse, the whole nation. And basically, he, just, he gets up, and he says, hey, guys, our nation is under a curse because we're not tithing. So as king, which is kind of a powerful position back then, he puts out a command. Everyone is going to bring 10% the tithe to the house of God, the storehouse. Everything turned around. Bless, 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 bless. God's house was blessed. Prosperity came back to the land. See, they, they gave, but they didn't say, well, I'm just going to give it to my project. Hey, guys, I don't control my tithe. I never have and I never will. I think that, for me, that's, that would be sin. I don't know how you see it, but for me it is. We don't control our tithe. That's why I don't tithe to special projects. It's not the storehouse. That's just my cause at the moment, which is going to drift away tomorrow. See, tithing is not about funding a cause. Tithing is about trust in God. Here's the truth. I shared this with our leaders last month. Is I will forego a vacation. I will forego supporting a cause. I will even forego going on a missions trip if it means that I have to suspend my tithing or stop tithing to do so. You guys remember me saying that? Why would I want to curse the 100% and be frustrated and angry and confused by doing that. No, see, God blesses my 90% as I tithe first and I live on the rest. And the, well, the way I do it is I tithe recurring. I set it up already so that it comes out when I get paid. And, and you know what I love about that? It's interesting because people will do that with all sorts of bills and things, and I do that. In fact, our church even does that. And, and it's good because it just makes sure that things are given on time or paid on time. And I don't see tithes. I don't like to say paying my tithes. It's giving. I'm giving back to God. But when I do that, even automated, it frees me up then to give even more offerings when in church. I'll be sitting here in church. I feel the Holy Spirit whispering to me, give this, give that, give that. And I've already tithed. And so the nice thing is that now I'm able to give out of that abundance. In fact, at City Life, we as a church, we have a stewardship philosophy. This has been with us since the beginning. I wanted to share this with you. Occasionally I have. I, this may be the third time I've, I've ever shared it. But our City Life stewardship philosophy is this. 
It's how we handle finances within our organization. First of all, is we have a budget, which is income and expenses. It's a plan. We have a budget. We project what the income will be. We project what the expenses will be. And we live within our means, even when it's hard. And it often means that I will have to say no to a lot of very good causes because it's biblical financial stewardship. Does that make sense? And we should live our own lives that way too. Absolutely. The second is this, is we challenge people to give scripturally but never manipulate. That's our second part of our philosophy. I don't like to be manipulated. I don't like to be manipulated. And you don't like it either. I can smell manipulation a mile off. That's why I'm not standing up here saying, well, if you give to City Life now, I will give you a money-back guarantee. That's right. All you have to do is give to me for the next 12 months, and if God doesn't bless you, I'll give you all your money back. I know preachers do that, and it's okay. Let them do it. But I can't do it with a good conscience here. That's manipulation. No, I'm not putting down anybody. I have friends who do that. Great. do it. I, I just can't. I feel manipulative when I do that. It doesn't work with my heart. I don't threaten we don't intimidate. What we do is we simply challenge based upon the scriptures because it's clean and it's simple. That way God speaks to you. You hear from God, you obey God. And third, our third financial stewardship principle, one, two, three, all three fit together, is to be a giver personally and corporately. I'm a giver, which means I do not control my tithe. I give it with no conditions attached to the storehouse, the local church. With extra giving, then I give to special projects. I will give to individual needs. And, but the truth is, most often, I simply give an extra offering to the church, the ministry. As the church institutionally, we do the same thing. We give according to the budget and according to the scriptures. As a church, we plant seed, knowing that our seed produces harvest. There were, there were people who planted seed right here at 915 Florence through their tithes and their offerings to see this building and this property purchased, gutted, and renovated. And they sacrificed a lot. Now, Austin, I said this in the lyrics, but you're one of them. I'm not trying to give you praise, but, but I do have no problem saying thank you for your Sacrifice your sweat, your toil, and as I've told you before, I'm sure literal blood, sweat, and tears are right here. Sacrificed a lot, and a lot of people did. Who aren't even here, who aren't even around us anymore, but they, 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 they planted a seed and they really sacrificed so that you and your guests and this community can worship freely. And they don't ask for anything in return. Isn't that pretty cool? Has Austin ever come to you and said, well, I think you should do something for me because I did something back then? No. It's planted seed. What we get to see is a harvest today because people gave then. I was looking at our, at our note for the building because we own the property, which is so cool. How many churches can start in downtown and own property? It doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. This is a mystery I have people asking me, how in the world do you get property in downtown? Do you know how much property sells for? Yeah, I do. I just have someone offer us money for this building, saying, you, I will give you X number of dollars, not going to tell you how much, for your building. It's like, no, you don't understand. No, this is God's property. And, and we still owe $574,242.36 on this building. And I would love to pay off that extra 36 cents this week and get it down a little bit, but... See, your giving is like a seed for the people who will be sitting in these chairs next week, next month. Your giving is a seed for that person who's going to walk in the door and be broken, fragile, and hurting. They're going to receive Christ. Their life is going to be turned around. And you will receive honor for that in eternity. It's all in the Word. Plus, God will bless you the rest of your 90%. But if you don't give... You have no harvest to look forward to. I'm sorry, it's a harsh truth, but it's real. Proverbs says the farmer that is too lazy to plant in the spring has nothing to harvest in the fall. And I don't ever want that to be me. I will plant seed. Also, this church will plant seed corporately knowing that a harvest awaits. 
what's planted in our offerings today will produce a harvest in your future. Paul just sums it up very well. He said, don't be misled. He said, uh, nobody makes a fool of God. Pretty strong words. He said, what a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, you're going to harvest a crop of weeds. And he'll, all he'll have to show for his life is weeds. Here's what I have, God. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life and eternal life. Let me tell you something. There's a young man who's not here today because he would have had to stand in the rain to catch a bus to get here, and that's okay. But it's Jack. Jack is a homeless guy. You hear me talk about him from time to time. Many times you see him. He usually sits right over there. Can I just tell you the truth about him? I don't want him to get a big head, so I'll talk behind his back. Jack is the most consistent tither in this church and always has been. A homeless man. I just took a look at it the other day. Jack is in the top 75% of the partners of this church in tithing. How would you like for your name to be in that bottom 25% of the partners in tithing compared to Jack? I'm not trying to make you do guilt. I won't manipulate. Hey, but the truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. Um, he simply believes in sowing seed. I know he doesn't have a secret stash of cash. I know some of you are going, yeah, I've heard about those millionaires that live on the street. Trust me, he doesn't. The government has entrusted me with the responsibility of watching over him to make sure of, that he's taken care of. And I do my very best. And this church does a lot. In fact, he, he even gets robbed. He, he was even robbed this, earlier this week. And he called me and I passed him. I was robbed. And he was crying on the phone and said, I, I got my bus pass stolen and I, I don't want you to be mad at me. I'm like, Jack, I've never been mad at you. Let's go to the bus station. We're going to buy you another bus pass. And more than that, we're going to buy you more stuff too. We're going to take care of you. I have to put them up in a motel on the other side of town. And, and uh, due to the storms, and he has new bus passes and meals and medical care and transportation and, and clothing. Well, you know what? Those things happen. A lot of it happens because of your giving. But, but even greater, here's what I believe. And I tell him this. I said, I believe God is honoring your faith and your trust in God due to your own consistency in giving. Jack, you are reaping your own, <laughs> you're reaping your own seed. You're harvesting what seed you've planted. And I, I tell him this, he, he hears me say this about once a month because I'm with him and I'm just going, I feel so inadequate when I'm with him. And I do, that's real, I, I feel that way. And, and it's, it's a strange feeling, it's a bizarre feeling, but I feel so inadequate. And occasionally I just tell him, I said, Jack, I gotta talk about heaven again. So when we get to heaven, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, I said, Jack, will you let me come visit you? Because you're going to have a big mansion. You've been so faithful. You've been so faithful with the little you have. Can I visit you? Will you let me come in if I knock on your door? He goes, ah, Pastor Tim, of course I will. Because my house is going to be a lot smaller in comparison because I don't have the faith he has. I'll just throw it out there. On your seats today was a generosity commitment card. I'd like for you to pull this out, take a look at it. Occasionally in our church we do this. And uh, I'm going to ask you to take a look at this card. Don't, you know, don't sign it yet, but just take a look at it. There's some options at the bottom. It says, I would like to commit for the next four months. I'm just asking for four months. My mom asked me for a lifetime, and I committed to it at the age of five. I think I was suckered into the deal, but I, I'm glad I did it because I, I didn't want to get kicked out on the street. But I, I would like to commit for the next four months to one, two, or three. Maybe it's all three of these. But what would you like for your commitment to be? To give regularly? To tithe? That 10%, that's redundant, I know there, but that just helps you to understand or to give above your tithe. That means you're tithing, but you're going to give above your tithe also. Which of these would you be willing to check? And the last one is I would like to set up recurring gifts online. The reason I, I bring that up is because 
I can't make you do that, but, but it's just a commitment. It's like, I'm going to go ahead and do this because I do it with my car. I do it with my house payment. I, I do it with my Visa or MasterCard. I, you know, why not with God? put God first? For me, it works very, very, very well. It works very well. And then uh, here's something else that I just that I want to put in here. If, if you are not a partner of City Life, you're not a City Life partner. I know today it's a kind of a weird rainy day and a lot of people are out, but if you're not a City Life partner and you would like to be, you would just like to be a part of this or learn more about us, I want you just to write the word partnership on this. And somebody will contact you regarding one of the upcoming partnership lunches. We're going to have a couple of them coming up real soon. And I just, just write the word partnership on there and someone will be in touch with you regarding how you can be part of our church. Uh, and there you will learn about my commitments to you as a congregation and, and what, that, what that actually means and how we function as a church. Because I want to guide you. I want to be your pastor and I want to guide you down your own adventure highway. Go ahead and fill that card out now. And while you're doing so, uh, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and prepare your offerings. We didn't receive an offering earlier because right, we just wanted to pass the baskets once. Some people get real uptight. You can pass it twice. And like, okay, we'll just do it once. But there are three ways to give here at City Life, and you know it's, it's on the screen. Your mobile device, your envelope, or at the back, and and uh, you know it's just it, it, it's it's very very easy to give, and I don't I just encourage you to take advantage of it. Uh, prepare your offerings right now, and and just prepare your gifts. Uh, I will, and I am, because I have no problem doing it. See, you know, as a pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm a leader. I'm the, the Bible tells me I'm the head leader of the church, of this church under him. And, and uh, I'm supposed to be an example to everyone. So I don't mind giving my offering publicly right now in front of you. Uh, this is not manipulation. This is called example. I don't mind. This is not my tithe, because I've already tithed. But this is an offering. It's from my thumbprint now. It accepted my thumbprint. That means nobody is hacked into my phone. It's really me. Boom. It's that simple. It's time for us to give. So now that you've prepared your offerings and your Connect cards and also your generosity cards, the usher's going to pass these baskets. And, and Van, I'd like for you guys to come on up and, and uh, prepare. Now, you know, one of the things we do here at City Life is when we pass the baskets, when we give, don't, say, don't pass them yet, we like to sing. We like for music. Why do we do that? I'll tell you why. It's because giving is always worship. It's worship. It's worship. When I gave those three cents, it was worship. 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 And I learned that as a child, and, I, and I, it's just in me. It's, it's just who I am. That's why I like for us to give while we are worshiping, because it's just part of our worship. Jordan has this new song he's going to be teaching us right now, and, and uh, just kind of worship God with that as we give. So after the baskets pass, just go ahead and you know, drop your stuff in there, and then just stand and worship. If you need to go back to the giving station and do it back there right now, you can do that, and then just come back and worship, and then we're going to close. We're going to be on our way today. Let's me pray. God, I pray your blessing right now over every person in this room as they take this challenge to simply walk in generosity. <laughs> that you will pour back into their lives, God. I, I thank you, God, that harvest is going to come from the seed that's even planted here and now. Thank you, God, for what you have done from the seed that's already been planted. I thank you, God, for what you're going to do in the days ahead. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you as you worship. Have a good afternoon. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. For more information on how you can get involved with City Life locally, text CONNECT to 41411. Again, that's CONNECT to 41411. Or visit us online at citylifecenter.org. We would love to meet you.